Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors, who make amazing acrylic and oil paint, watercolors, and painting mediums. Made in upstate New York, an employee-owned company, Golden sets the standard for art materials. You can find them in your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Fulcrum has an incredible array of roasted coffee beans that you can order and have delivered to your door. They even have a subscription service of curated blends that you can order by visiting their website, fulcrumcoffee.com. Percent off their order by adding the code ALFREDSTUDIO at checkout. Check out Fulcrum for some amazing coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. Why I Make Art, Contemporary Artist Stories About Life and Work, is the Sound and Vision Podcast book, and it's out now. It features writings on Diana Al-Hadi, Jules de Ballancourt, Dove Bradshaw, Greg Crudson, Heather Day, Inga Essenhai, Amir Falah, Louis Vertino, Dominique Fung, Carl Funk, Vanessa German, Allison Janae Hamilton, Loie Hollowell, Khalil Robert Irving, Chris Martin, Tony Matelli, Carl Ostendarp, Aaron Riley, Devin Shimoyama, Robin Williams, Salma Tour, Colleen Smith, James Sienna, and many others. It's stacked with writings about art and really great artists, and there's sketches from the Sound Division sketchbook, some quotes about music, art school, and many other subjects. It's available at Altillier Editions on their website for $25 or anywhere else you get books. Please support the podcast by picking up Why I Make Art. Delphine Henley received her BFA from Cooper Union in 2002 and her MFA from the Mason Gross School of the Visual Arts at Rutgers University in New Jersey in 2017. A painter, drawer, and occasional printmaker, Delphine explores figuration primarily using the female form. She is a three-time recipient of the Elizabeth Greenshields Foundation Award. Recent shows include What a Day, a group exhibition at Everyday Moon Day in Seoul, Korea, Fludio, a group exhibition curated by Eduardo Monti, presented at Casino Projects in Milan, a participation in David Swerner's platform, and the solo Beguiling Tedious Hours at Panji in Montreal. In November, she will have a solo at Carvalho Park Gallery in Brooklyn. She recently completed a residency at Palazzo Monti in Italy. She lives and works in Montreal and is represented by Panji. I spoke with Delphine about theater in the house, Baroque music, narrative, Canada, composition, and much more. Here's our conversation. It sounds like you have a a sizable studio. Like I could tell by the sound waves. Echoey a bit. Well, it's not Um, bad, but you don't sound like you're in a closet. No. (laughs) Which a lot of people hear, as you know. 
Yeah, yeah, as I know very well. Um, yeah, it's so funny actually because I, um, it's one of the, the, the plus sides of being here is I, I, it's like, it's about the same price I was paying in New York, but I have like four times the size. <laughs> so it's just, it makes sense. Yeah. You, should we run yeah. the list? Let's go through all the benefits, the pluses of being <laughs> up north, north of the border. Um, I mean, well, you, well, you've, you know, how long did you spend in New York? Oh gosh. Um, well, I, uh, I first moved to New York like in, um, 1999 when I went to, uh, undergrad. Ah, me for, too. I went to, so we hit the city at the same time. Yeah. 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 That's cool. Um, um, and then stayed for, for that time, five years, I guess. Cause I kept getting, um, like, I think that I can't remember what it's called now. The OPT, the, oh, right. the, yep. yeah. And so, and I was working for artists and stuff. So I kept, um, renewing my visa and then, you know, kind of at some point, even when the visa ran out, I would just do a thing where I would like be like back and forth, yeah. um, pretty regularly the, the border started to get to know me really well um <laughs> isn't yeah. it funny that they make you have a visa of coming from canada they should be happy to have canadians that want to come down here to be honest because <laughs> everyone i feel like a lot of people you know are, are thinking yeah maybe i'll go up north things seem yeah. nice right now up there <laughs> yeah yeah i get that a lot actually a lot of friends of mine are like oh you're lucky i want to join you <laughs> well, where do you live now? Um, I'm in Montreal. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't have Montreal experience, only Toronto, and I, I love it there. It's great. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I actually don't know Mo- Toronto very well, which is funny, because I think it's for a lot of uh, uh, American, well, particularly art world Americans. Like, it's like Toronto's the the hub. It's right there. In their mind. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. It's right up, you know. And I yeah. think there is there's a history of people just bouncing back and forth, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but it's funny because Toronto's like the few times I've been there, it's actually like kind of like depressed me because it's it's sort of lacking in soul a little bit. It's like very corporate. Or um, I've often heard people compared to like you know New York, Chicago. Like Toronto would be like the Chicago right. of you know, and Montreal is like more like New York in a way with its there's like more diversity and like vibrancy somehow and the 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 french the english creates this kind of like dynamic that's quite um heated and exciting in a way that's like more feels the energy is just like more new york but you grew up if i'm not mistaken in a family of sort of like an artistic family in the sense that it wasn't a theater was the thing mm-hmm. yep so yeah yeah actually that's um, that's kind of yep. a nice you know well, there's like as soon as I read that, you know, you can draw lines between what you're doing and subject matter and vibe and oh, maybe that's from growing up with this around. Or, but how did it go? I mean, how was that growing up in that kind of household? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, it, it's funny that you should mention that you know about you know the correlation between the work and and that because it is actually something that sort of. Has, has has slowly unfolded and like kind of like revealed itself to me over time it's not like a, it didn't sort of develop as like a conscious like oh yeah like this is this theatrical stuff that I 
you know, loved from my childhood or whatever. It was just sort of like it obviously had been something I digested and absorbed and then I started recognizing it and then sort of seeing it for what it was, this kind of like influence that had happened, you know? Kind of like every um, other but thing that parents like leave it, yeah. you in your brain. Like when you become 40 and you start saying things your parents said and you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Exactly. Well, I think, but I think it's also because like my parents were very, um, like we always, um, like my parents are very, uh, like growing up, it was just sort of like a given that we were like in this kind of like, um, I don't know how to explain it exactly because it's something I sort of just sort of accepted because I didn't know anything else. But like it was like my parents were, you know, putting on plays and stuff. So there would be rehearsals at the house, like groups of people coming and rehearsing all weekend. Um, my mom would be making the costumes. There'd be like racks of costumes and then groups of people helping out with that. Like so there'd be like the table and then a whole group of people making the work together, you know. So like us kids... Um, would just be and also like the kids of other people right. working with my parents yeah. too like there would be a big we were kind of a big crew Sounds we busy. would just be like running around like kind of free yeah. you know like just kind of left you know obviously there were tons of parents around and but they would just be like yeah 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 run along now go away you know kind of leave us alone we're working kind of thing and so we were just kind of left um to just kind of mingle with the whole thing and so it was just so kind of um yeah, I just took it for It was like a continuation of like what kids do anyway, which is like kind of play, right? right. And I saw my parents kind of playing. So it was sort of, um, you know, in like a kind of a natural um, kind of transition to like where conversations with my parents, like around the dinner table, for instance, often led to like ideas about, you know, what theater meant or, you know, because my parents would be talking to each other like about the, you know, what they were thinking about for, because they worked collaboratively. And so, like, they would be very much involved in their project. And so dinner would be like, they would be like, yeah, so what do you think for so-and-so's costume? You know, you know that kind of yeah. thing. And then we, the kids were, like, me, I, I have um, uh, three siblings. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we, we would just be kind of in, brought into that conversation you know, as, as one is, right? Like it or not. And so, yeah. So, like, things like, and my parents are kind of like intellectually driven about it. I know that sounds like maybe a, an obvious because one is, you know, with one's work, but, but they would not shy away from talking about some of these like ideas of like breaking the fourth wall or suspension of disbelief and stuff. And then of course you'd be like, what does that mean? And then they would, you know, they brought us up very much involved with like thinking uh, conceptually and you know, obviously through the medium of theater, but like, yeah, it, it just became kind of like a part of me in this really ingrained way that um, clearly, it, it, you know, yeah, is translating into the work somehow. It's interesting because I feel like, you know, one could just imagine that, you know, if the parents were in the theater or something, that might be just something that they go do. It sounds like it was really in the home in a collaborative, like it was you were witnessing that because there are a lot of creative people like musicians or you know like actors and stuff they just go away for work and then they come home and the kids aren't necessarily you know embroiled in all of the the minutiae of it it sounds like you were really exposed to all that it's interesting too that you ended up doing something that really uh, what i assume for most artists we we go to a room 
a white room by ourselves all day. <laughs> yeah, Maybe you maxed um, out on the collaborative stuff earlier. Like, all right, yeah, I'll totally. take the wheel. Let me have this. <laughs> totally. Well, the reason why I was so much involved in like our home and stuff was because my it was essentially like my dad's project. Like my dad ran. It, he 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 established a theater company. It was called Open Theater. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had T-shirts and everything, and, like, all his company had T-shirts, and, like, he was really much influenced... He was very influenced, like, kind of, like, by, like, the... Like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the director, Peter Brooks, but, like, this idea, like, who was, like, heavily influenced by, like, Antonin uh, Artaud's Theater of Cruelty, which is about, like, breaking spaces between... Um, like the audience and the the, the performance mm-hmm. so that you that you kind of it's you know like I, the thing that came to mind uh, uh, readily in that regard is Blue Man Group do you remember yeah, of speaking course. of moving to yeah, New York yeah. in like 1999 do you remember Blue Man Group yeah, being they, such like a huge thing they broke that but, wall they were yeah in, yeah in but that audience. was like yeah but my parents were doing this in like the 80s you know like kind of coming from my parents are also British so my they have a British kind of theatrical um, history, I guess, in a way. And so there was this kind of... Um, so, for instance, my dad would rent warehouses and then empty them out and then reseat them and then build these theatrical stages and stuff. So, like, it was, it was, it was very much like... A, it wasn't just, like, a job they went to. It was in our spaces all the time. Um, was the plan always... Was it kind of like... Well, this is what we're interested in. Let's just go do that in Canada, you know. Or did they? Um, was that the reason they they went? No, actually, um, it's it's actually um, a little more complicated than that. But the my my dad grew up in Wales, um, and his father was a psychiatrist and ran a psychiatric hospital in Cardiff, um, and then at some point was offered a job in. Uh, I think he was somehow his expertise was rec- like demanded in this hospital in Vancouver. Okay. Um, and then, so the whole family actually moved to Vancouver when my dad was about fourteen, I guess. Um, and he'd, he, you know, he had been going to boarding school and stuff, and then so he was picked out of that and then moved to Vancouver. And he always talked about it as being like a really traumatic time, like just the just like the complete um, culture shock of sure. difference and everything. And then sadly, both his parents died um, kind of not long after, like really closely relate, like close in time. And by the time he was 18, um, so, so he's just in Vancouver. So he ended up being kind of not stranded. He had four older siblings, but like he was, the youngest of five, and so he and the others were all kind of grown up. So he was kind of just left, yeah, a little bit alone. He talks about it that way. Obviously, at eighteen, is fairly young. Yeah. Um, um, and then ba- basically went back to England. Um, I well, probably Wales, and then eventually England. He, my parents met in London, so um, yeah. And then when when they were they had they were they met they. They uh, got pregnant with my big sister fairly quickly, and uh, and I guess there was this kind of like um, it was like the '60s, so or '70s. Yeah, no, seven. It wasn't the '60s. It was the '70s. Um, but I I feel like I just 
clump those that time right. together. But like it was like they were kind of like, let's go somewhere, let's move, let's be adventurous. And I, my dad, was new Canada, so he thought it would be a good idea to maybe start there. Let's go back to see what Canada's all about. Um, and uh, so that's what they did. And then because of the kids coming, I, I ended up. My older sister was born in England, but I was the first one born in Canada. So then that kind of changed things for them. But they still kept moving around Canada, like Saskatchewan, Toronto, back, you know, moving all around Vancouver. And then when you were young? Eventually Montreal. Or they settled in well, Montreal when you were? Well, I was 12 when they moved to Montreal. Oh, okay. So you didn't speak French? No. no did you have no. to learn it? I did, yeah. I learned it fairly quickly, actually. Survival. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the, yeah, that's the best way, right, to be immersed in it, I guess. I mean, I guess that's not yeah, full immersion, yeah. but you're getting a lot of it. Oh, yeah. I was, I was, I went, it was my first year of high school, and I went right into a French school. Um, there's a, there are certain uh, laws here, that uh, language laws, mm-hmm. and, you know, if you're born after a certain date or before, blah, 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 I don't know the exact cutoff, but uh, you, you have to go to school in French. And... Um, they don't make accommodations for for your English. You you have to pick it up. Right. You just kind of have to Deep end of the pool. figure it out. Yeah. Well, that's the best way, fastest way to learn. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Sink or swim, and you got to yeah. swim. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I remember by December, I was like dreaming in French, and so I was, and I started to understand jokes, which was a huge turning point. Oh yeah, comedy. where I could actually laugh at something someone said, and I was like, oh man, I must be understanding now. Yeah, yeah. that's cool. Well, it's so funny, like. Welsh to Canada to learn French, like the way the movement of all that stuff is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, definitely. So it's you're definitely, yeah. so going to school. Well, I guess you didn't land there till you were twelve, right? Mm-hmm. So is that when yeah. they kicked in the whole theater thing there, and then that? No, actually, sorry to cut you off. It dwindled a little. Oh, okay. actually, it was the opposite. It was. I remember Vancouver and like my young childhood just like I was that was the life um and then we moved to Montreal and it was a drastically different lifestyle got it yeah but creativity my dad kind of switched to movies and commercials and I was gonna say were they still doing creative things Mm -hmm. yeah 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 just less my dad still does quite a bit of theater but not in the the same uh not with the same type of uh like format of his own project right yeah now when you were left to your devices with all the other kids and i mean were you drawing was something that was that something you'd like doing yeah yeah i mean i've i've always drawn i've always drawn i felt like i would i would direct i i distinctly remember directing a lot of my play or games Mm -hmm. always through a drawing like that was just something whether it would be like, okay, guys, we're going to draw a map, you know, like, right. or here's the plan, I'm going to list it, or here, here's what we're going to do, or, and, and I'd always have these kinds of, um, like, my drawings were often very, like, um, elaborate, ongoing, and uh, storytelling, like, there was yeah. often a, a kind of, um, yeah, like a sequential kind of development in them, like, they weren't on their own interesting but more like this was like an elaborate plan i had or something or I'd, it was often fantasy driven like i was just like this is going to be eventually really great 
you know. It's a big but, picture. You're just getting pieces but, of the. It's like the yeah. early script writing of the. <laughs> The yeah, story. exactly. Well, that one of those two lines was it also, you know, thinking about theater, but it's also, you know, I've I've heard people asking you or read people asking you about, you know, kids stories or illustrations or kids books. And I think that's just related to uh, a large part of it is related to storytelling. Right. It's it's about like a narrative and sort Absolutely. of the way that you're drawing, you know, the linear element of how you're drawing is sort of like something that is used obviously in, in illustration or kids books or, you know, cartoons and things like that. So I think that question comes up, but it's interesting to hear you talking about drawing and thinking of stories or narrative, but maybe it's not a full story. It's just alluding to it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Or like that they would be like part of a bigger thing. So like it would be like the character, um, the character building or something right well that's like i mean it's like taking a photo if you take a photo when you go on a trip that's part of the story you know what i mean it's just like it's a snapshot it can give you a feeling of what that trip was like but Mm -hmm. it doesn't tell the front to back story of it it's just you know it can lead you in the direction of like oh here's the vibe here's how we're feeling about or you know yeah, 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 totally, totally. So when you're totally. when you were in school and draw, I mean, you drew a lot as a kid, or you you always drew. I mean, when did making some sort of step at art or art making? When did that enter the picture? Um, it's funny because it's like hard to know exactly when it. Um, I mean, I know specifically a moment where I decided to uh, be that I could do this as a as a profession so to speak um, I was 12 and my we we were still living in Vancouver it was I was ju- I had just turned 12 or my 12th birthday was coming up or something but we were still living in Vancouver and I, I guess my parents were planning the Montreal move but my mom the reason why we actually moved to Montreal is because my older sister moved a year prior uh, to go to the ballet school oh, okay. when she was 16. So my family kind of basically followed her. Um, but anyway, so we visited her, um, and we, my mom and I took a train across uh, the States. We took the Amtrak, actually, across the States because Canada is very flat and the same, and the States are more interesting. So we took um, a four-day trip, and there was a five-hour stopover in Chicago, and my mom was like, right, let's go to the Chicago Art Institute and uh, I remember walking in there, and I had just been on the train where, like, there were these, like, cigar-like clouds in the landscape, and I'd been on the train for four days, and I don't know if you've ever been on a train for more than one day, but after a while, you get a mo- the motion keeps going. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you felt that before, uh, but it's like a weird sensation. I've been on a long one, but not for days, but I, I right. know what you're talking about, that, that sensation of, like, the movement. Yeah, and like just the stretching of the the landscape, like the landscape just stretches. Anyway, it was a strange experience, a new experience for me. Anyway, and it was like these clouds. I just remember being so marked by these clouds that were like these long shapes. And then walking up the stairs in the Chicago Art Institute and turning left, I think there was the Georgia O'Keeffe cloud painting. Do you know I it? Do, I know um, exactly the one right above about. the staircase. And I was like, oh my god, that was what I was just looking at outside in the world. And then um, turned to my right, and there were like the sh- probably not. I probably walked a bit more, but like there were the Van Gogh sunflowers. Right. And I had only seen those in a book growing up in Vancouver. I didn't have a lot of exposure to 
some of these paintings. And so I'd seen them in a book, and obviously somehow my mom being, you know, my parents being, you know, they had a lot of art books around, so I remember being drawn to these in a book, and then seeing them in real life, and then and then connecting with the the house, so to speak, yeah. which is the museum, the space, and then the people that were flocking to see these things. All of a sudden, I had this moment of, oh, this is a thing people do. Like, right. if I make work, one day there might be a house for it, and there will be an audience for it. So it kind of clicked, and I was, I'll be a painter. I just sort of said it right then and there, out loud, and then I kind of didn't really look back um that's a pretty great origin yeah. story because the first time i went to the carnegie museum in pittsburgh i remember being in awe of like these huge abstract paintings but i had no sense of like yeah i'll do that well the thing is yeah i remember a lot of people you know when people ask kids they're like well what do you want to do when you grow up and i remember always being like nothing i don't want to work and nice. <laughs> I mean, so, so for me, I was just like, well, I draw every day. That's what I want to do. I just want to keep drawing yeah. every day. And then I did, you know, obviously I didn't realize like how much work it is being an artist because here I am, but like, you know, it is, you know, it's, it was a bit, one of those child naive flippant things that I was thinking in my mind, like, oh, it'll be an amazing life. I'll just draw every day, you know? Right. So well, it wasn't, I, it, it yeah. might be if you did that, it's that old <laughs> adage of like, um, you know, as soon as something becomes a job, it becomes work. Even if you love it, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta do this, do this. And it's work, yeah. you know? Yeah. But at least yeah. it's something that you've always, you know, thought I could do this. This is something I could spend time doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So did you have to hide it a little bit or did you go straight into like, oh, I'm going to go to school for art and I'm, you know. Um, that's actually a funny question because um, I did kind of have to hide it to a degree, not because my mom actually painted. My mom was a painter um, when she, she, she kind of like, she, she never went to, she never entered into the academia side of it, but she painted when she was younger. And then basically I think kind of it dwindled off when I was born. And I remember feeling like it was her territory. So I, I decided I'd be a sculptor. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a sculptor because my mom's a painter. I don't want to touch upon that. That's her thing. And I'll be a sculptor. So I kind of did have to hide it in a way, like in the sense of like, because my family were very encouraging. I can't say that I had to hide it from them. They were very, obviously very um, supportive. But it was really just that I felt like I didn't want to encroach upon my mom's thing. And um, But then, so I was actually really convinced I was into sculpture for a very long time like you know until I went to um until I got out of high school actually and uh there's like in Quebec there's this kind of uh CEGEP system where two you do two years of college before college right. and I actually was fully engaged with being a sculptor during that time what were you making oh my god I was really <laughs> influenced by uh, <laughs> Like Louise Bourgeois and and and, and uh, gosh, I, I I was really into like making like finding stuff in the garbage and then making something like big and yeah. and then I would go to the the clay room and try to make hands a la Rodin, you know, like I'd try to be Rodin right. and then like be like I'm gonna clay I'm gonna make a hundred hands out of clay, you know, that kind of thing to train myself. I was obsessed with being trained. So um, so did you? You got broken from sculpture in art school? 
Well, it physically was out of my abilities somehow. It was just, it was like, it was, it was, uh, it hurt my hands. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other than that. It was really like, I, I mean, I did crazy things. Like I remember finding in this like kind of empty lot, like a whole lot of like, um, car, um, hubs, I guess they're called. Oh, hubcaps. They're like this hubcaps. Yeah. yeah. yeah they were or like, rims, a, it was like nowadays. a junk. <laughs> What are they rims called? nowadays like you know rims, you get, yeah. get 20 inch rims or whatever but back when we were younger they were yeah. called hubcaps because they just covered hubcaps. it yeah yeah exactly and i remember it was just like a junk pile of that and i was like oh my god awesome material and i lugging all this stuff and then like i don't know i was just not physically um able uh to figure out how to you know and then i imagine i want I, I kind of tried to twine them all together with like wire and stuff and make this shape and stuff it was just like such such physical labor that i like um and then even like i got really into like welding at some point and i was like obsessed with i, I loved welding because it was very closely in line with drawing yeah but it was also like just even the steel benders that yep. you have to step i don't know what they're like nowadays but like we had to step on these things we still have them in our shop where i teach those old school yeah. like yeah the big metal step that you put on there to bend the metal exactly yeah. yeah like I couldn't physically manage it and then I so I couldn't figure out how to make my ideas work because they were out of my abilities my ideas were beyond my abilities basically it's like you want to play you know basketball but you someone's yeah. just like you know you try out for the <laughs> sure. team and you're like four foot tall and you can't really hands are small and you're like alright Exactly. Maybe maybe chess, exactly. maybe ping pong is where I'm going. You know, like it's all. Yeah. I feel like that happens in life, though. It's you. There are physical limitations to certain things, or you move, mm-hmm. or space wise. You know, like sculpture is not easy mm-hmm. space wise e- either. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you put this? St- it's, I don't know how people actually do it. Like I, how you do it from scratch. Um, I don't know how. It's one of those like mysteries about art making. You know, you know how there are so many of those mysteries that. If you teach, for instance, your students are always asking you, like, how did you, where did you begin? Or whatever, like, because it's just so hard to figure out how, you know, people do it as sculptors. I just don't know. I admire that um, when they make it past the 10-year mark, you know? Yeah, it's a commitment, for sure. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's, it's, I feel like the world of ceramics, there's like a, there's more of an infrastructure of, well, you got your kilns. You're going somewhere where they've got the clay and there's some wheels and kilns and there's like that, you know, part of it is, mm-hmm. I mean, you can venture outside of that, of course, but there's like a stable rote thing. In sculpture, it's pretty wide open and, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, and it's not, I don't think it's an easy path. Mm-mm, mm-mm. So did you think to yeah. yourself, well, back to the drawing board, literally? No, no, again, it happened kind of accidentally. It was just like uh, I had a class and I had to do a painting. And I painted, I was 16 actually, and I painted um, with oils uh, for the first time. And it was a self portrait and it was like fantastic. Oh, you <laughs> like, loved it? Like, I just, it's not so much even that I loved it, it was like, I was I was like good. I was like whoa. I actually can do this. I was like, it was like it, the the aura of your mom around though. Where there was a little shame. Where you're like oh boy, sorry I can't I do this. Know. This is mom's territory. <laughs> no, I don't know. I think it was a moment where I was caught off guard. Where I wasn't being self conscious or something because it turned out really good. Nice. Like I wasn't thinking or, or overthinking. I was sort of like oh this is an exercise Designing. and yeah. I have to do it. So I'm I was completely removed from it. Like 
you know, object, I was really objective. I was like, really kind of like, oh, I just got to get this done. And it was a straight up just self-portrait with mirror, you know, copy. And it was like, it looked like uh, exactly like me. I like had the ability to create a, like a, what's it, a likeness. And I was surprised by that because, you know, even with drawing, it was, my drawing was always a bit more inventive because I didn't have, you know, drawing doesn't have the kind of, maybe this was also because of the exercise itself, but like drawing doesn't have this, like, if you keep consistently drawing, you you eventually can allow yourself to be kind of stylized, I feel like, whereas painting has this like real heavy historic history of how it's supposed to be done right. you know like how you're supposed to paint especially that in that developmental in assignment-based mm-hmm. platform you're like okay i've got to do this yeah. still life it's that apple's gonna i gotta try to yeah. make that look like the apple right exactly exactly so i and anyway it was just and i and i it was just like it turned out really well and i and i'm not saying that in a way that's like like i was i'm not i'm not gloating it was more just like it's surprise it i was sort of like oh Oh, okay. Wow, I can this do is that. What I'm actually yeah, supposed right. to do. Yeah. So it, it was really organic, and then it was also like unquestionable. It was like, oh, oh, all along, here we are. This is what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Because I had a like a kind of a response. To, like it was, re- if I, I knew how to do it or something, like just innately. And it was like, oh, yeah, like, okay, why waste time on anything else? This is clearly a, the avenue I have to go. Yeah, it's kind of like. If someone sits down at a piano and they have an ear for music and they could just kind of copy mm-hmm. something, they're not really studying it, but they're just like, oh, I can play that. And they just sit down. And then you're like, yeah. oh, I guess this is something I can and should do because I have, yeah. I can just do yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's like kind of like, oh, I know how to use this tool. It's like, yeah. Then it's like, oh, I'm going to work this tool. And then, oh, great. I got to unlearn this tool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's. Yeah, it's definitely that came later. It, but isn't it like a, a double-edged sword? It, it's either like, oh wow, I'm, I'm adept at this, and then it, like I'm gonna work on it, and then you get really good at it, and you're like, oh shoot, I gotta unlearn this. I can't just be, oh yeah, you know, no, totally. academic here. Like- the other side <laughs> of it is like, if you can't get, if it doesn't come easy to you, you spend your whole time being like, oh, it doesn't come easy to me. I gotta keep working on it, working on it, you know, and then yeah. you may give up on trying to become you know proficient or whatever but in the back of your mind you're always like oh you know i can't do it all that well you know it's it's like the grass no, is always greener sure. yeah totally i mean it, it definitely was kind of the first one was the like the best one and then you know like they always joke about beginner's luck and stuff like that i feel like that's a part of it you know like that kind of the first because i wasn't overthinking it it worked out but like afterwards it was I mean, I don't think I knew how to paint at all afterwards. Like, I, it was the first one that worked. And then right. afterwards, like, I couldn't, I was sort of like, oh, my God, what, you know, this is really, you know, obviously it became very difficult. Um. Well, and the metric <laughs> changes, too. It's like, you know, yeah. the first date's the best date. Well, yeah, that's true. There's all that energy and excitement. But then, like, later on, you, you're looking for other things in a relationship. Or, yeah. you know, there's, like, <laughs> totally. things, the, the metric of it all changes. But yeah, that's totally. that excitement of just like hitting a home run on your first time up the bat yeah. and then the next one's a strikeout and you're like, wait, I thought, you know, yeah, yeah. that's life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But so did exactly. you start taking painting courses and thinking about, well, that's a quick, well, w- that was a two year thing, right? Yeah. So I was already in, uh, the, it was a two year thing, but it was pretty rigorous. Like, uh, it was basically like two years of foundation studies 
the equivalent of what I did at Cooper Union, like where we had a year of foundation. I did two years at Dawson College before. So, um, yeah, it, it's actually kind of a funny thing because then when you do go to university, you have to start again, like doing basics. You're really advanced. You're kind of beyond everyone else because of those two years. They're, it's basically like a trade school. Like I feel like the, the SEJEP acts like a kind of where you start to become... Uh, specialized, right? Gets so, you like, good I, at we school, were basically. Part of it me? gets you good at school in a way. Like, yeah, you go yeah, into yeah, college like, like kind of ready. Mm-hmm. It's almost like AP. Yeah. Like what we have is AP, except it's mm-hmm. all. It's like the whole two year experience. Here, we try to like garnish like a couple classes on your senior year of high school or something. It's like now you're going to be better prepared. But this sounds mm-hmm. way more intense. But it is two years. That's a commitment. Absolutely, yeah. But at the same yeah. time, I don't know how you feel about it in in your studies and, you know, what I teach. I feel that, you know, there's jumping right into school. It's almost like school is too accelerated because as mm-hmm. you get older, you get better at learning or you want to learn more, you know. And when you're really young, you're just like, eh. I, you, just, yeah, you just don't know how to yeah, do it. Yeah, you're just like, actually, let me get through this. I don't care. And then you care more mm-hmm. the older you get generally. Uh, for a lot of people. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. I mean, I've I've always been sort of labeled a late bloomer, but it I actually don't agree with that at all. I've always been, you know, who doing the thing that I've been doing. It's just that I think exactly what you're talking about. I I got better at being able to communicate or figure it out or study somehow as I got older. Right. And then I could become more engaged, you know, like either academically or like socially. You know what I mean? Yeah, just for because sure. You get better. Yeah, it's so true. You mean so true. you mean the late bloomer thing in relation to like when you started showing the work or like when you all like of Like the career like, side like, of it. I feel like the career side of it is like just based on like a, a number. Like, oh, if you don't come yeah. out right after school, you know what I mean? Then it's like then yeah. you're late or or you're coming but to you, the party late or something. Yeah, totally. But even even going to like grad school for instance, I went to grad school late kind of like I took 12 years off between undergrad and grad school and then everyone even just treated like you like you're a senior citizen <laughs> yeah totally it's totally. like who's the lady with the cane why is she here yeah. <laughs> you're like dude yeah, exactly. I'm just in my 30s chill out <laughs> yeah, I know, but everyone else was like 21 no I mean 27 or something right I actually no actually there were some 23 year olds in grad school with me I, it was funny I went early I just like how did you even get through like what what like, I don't know, it was a different, like, yeah. But, no, but I mean, just in, like, what you're saying about how, you know, learning learning takes a kind of maturity or time, uh, I think, exposure, like, in a certain amount of exposure to something, too, yeah. before you actually understand it. I think it, it's experience. Know? Like, ex- experience, life experience. Yeah. It's not that you need that to learn. I think you learn deeply. Like, you can learn more deeply if you have experiences to to associate mm-hmm. that information with you know what i mean it's a different mm-hmm. kind of learning but then by the time you're older and you're learning that it's like everyone's like who cares you're old just get out of here <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i guess yeah. that's one advantage of teaching if you stay engaged is that you can mm-hmm. be older and still bring something to the table you know yeah. with experience yeah yeah, yeah. ideally Definitely, I teach. I'm teaching right now, actually, in uh, at Concordia University. Oh, I thought you meant right um, now, like in the podcast. No, you not are right teaching. now. Right now. You're dropping knowledge in Concordia yeah. University. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, I teach painting, and I, I'm actually I have quite a big. I have I have four classes, which is quite a lot. What the hell are you doing um, here? 
<laughs> you got stuff to do. Four classes, that is a, that's a I heavy know, load. A is it all it's painting classes? All painting. Holy I'm, painting, I'm teaching two painting 200, one painting 400, and one I'm teaching the MFAs as well. That's good. So, you know, yeah. three-fifths of it is, you know, uh, people yeah. who are just, you're just talking to them about their work, basically. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel design. a lot of it is, mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> the 200 class is probably the most uh, assignment-oriented yeah. out of all, because even the 400 are their advanced painting. They're, like, at their end of their, they're, like, in their fourth year. So they're all, you know, they're being prepped for grad school, old right? News. In a way, let's let's be honest. They're yesterday's yeah. news. It's those young painters. That <laughs> are you teaching like still lives and self portraits and grisaille and and glazing and all that stuff, or is it all ala prima? Mm, not necessarily glazing. <laughs> Some of the other things. I mean, it depends. I kind of try to riff off of what the students, like the individual student, is asking for. TikTok, like <laughs> TikTok. Me? Yeah. How to make yeah. TikTok videos of painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No joke, actually. We talk about palettes sometimes. Like the other, one of my 200 class, they all kind of came out with like these really purple pink paintings. Yep. And I was just sort of like, wow, are you guys syncing up somehow with your palette? Like, what's up with this? And they were all like, oh, we were thinking of, um, oh, shoot, now I'm going to forget the name of the show. But it was that really hot show, like last year. Uh, Everyone was talking about it. it oh, oh, I know God, what I'm you're talking blanking. about. It's with uh, it Zendaya. Is it the one with yes, Zendaya? Yes, What was that show uh, called? I forget. <laughs> I didn't oh, watch yeah. it. Anyway. But it was like really supposedly pretty, you know, edgy for that age group, I guess. Absolutely. But like obviously that's what everyone wants to watch, of course, right? right. But like the, pa- the parent, they were all talking about the color of the palette of the the, sh- the scenes right you know did you do that though the lighting like with stuff were you ever watching movie uh, obviously maybe not netflix mm-hmm. shows but were you watching movies and got really into the palette yeah yeah oh, i did yeah. that too i think yeah definitely i mean I, I found it actually kind of like a really exciting thing when the students started tell because obviously you know it's you know how sometimes students are just all really quiet you know yeah for sure um, and it's really hard to get them there's a lot of pressure and, these and days so, <laughs> to say it Pardon There's me. a lot of pressure these days. Like they feel like yes. anything is going to be judged. Absolutely yeah. triggered. Or Poor something. guys. Yeah. No, it's really <laughs> tough actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so when this, when someone just mentioned this, and then everyone was like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah," that's sort of what I was thinking too. And and then it just opened up this like awesome conversation, you know, about palette, about color, about mood, about why the why that color does that you know all these things so i kind of i feel like my teaching is a lot like i'm always waiting for those like nuggets of opportunity like yeah, those like moments the ice, to, right you got to break the ice. yeah yeah that's why i always yeah. just open up with sendaya in every class just to break because <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing more cringy than an old guy talking about like young guys <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, yeah. I agree with you. There is always kind of like an inroad. Like you have to mm-hmm. understand what people are relating to aesthetically or visually or conceptually or entertainment wise that, that is totally. visually, mm-hmm. you know, stimulating them because we had it. You know what I mean? Like I remember going mm-hmm. to basement shows or and like walking home at night in the the mini marts would have a glow and like, you know, like the yes. night like that yes. to me was a totally. really inspiring time. You know what I mean? But yeah, same. None of my teachers same. were talking about basement shows. You know what I mean? But that was exactly. what I was inspired exactly. by. So. Yeah, I know. I it, absolutely. That's yeah. That's exactly where like I'm sort of. I try to well. 
that's what I try to come I try to come from that place you know yeah. that I'm like kind of paying attention to what their where their attention is you know right I think that makes for so. better teaching than just like when I was a you know that whole mm-hmm. thing mm. oh yeah the, you guys are doing it wrong <laughs> yeah that's yeah. the worst no one wants to hear that yeah. I didn't want to hear it when no. I was a student you know what I mean no, well, you don't hear it when you're a student. That's the thing. You turn your ears turn off. You kind of like zone out. You know. Yeah, I don't know. When I was in grad school, though, people hated my work because it was like futuristic mm. looking. It was like based on mm-hmm. fractals, and they just oh, wow. they were like, nope, because it it edged towards technology. And at that point, mm-hmm. in like the late '90s, technology was kind of like this giant like monster in the room that people are just like don't look at it you know don't bring it in here yeah we don't want it right it doesn't belong here leave it out there this is you know so it was kind of like it was Mm. tricky oh yeah that's so funny though because like segue to now exactly um yeah it's happening still in different ways shapes and forms you know yeah yeah but did you so moving through school I mean, was painting, were you, uh, that, that's the era. I mean, what was like on your radar when you started like doing it, doing it? And plus you were at Cooper <laughs> Union, right? For undergrad. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty, <laughs> I mean, I had friends who went to Cooper and you know, it's, it's, there's some rigor there. There's the, the mm-hmm. sciences and mathematics. There's the city. Mm-hmm. There's all that mm-hmm. stimulus, you know? I mean, what, how did you, yeah. how'd you deal with all that? Oh my gosh. Uh, well, I was very open. <laughs> I was very open to it. I loved the city. I loved the city. I was like, you took it's part. funny because when I, I will, I was at, I was in Chelsea every Thursday night, you know, yeah. getting the free wine and uh, remember going that? to all the openings. Remember when yeah, you remember that? Drinks? Yeah. Those days. <laughs> yeah, remember that? Those days, I know. Um, Back in my day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long yeah. ago, actually. No, no, it wasn't that long ago. And it, actually, I remember, I mean, I still feel like there's a parallel universe where that's still going on forever because I kind of like feel like that was just like my forever, ima- like in my mind, that was forever how it was always going to be, yeah. you know? Like, oh, yeah, definitely. Just like these busy openings where like you would show you'd go and you'd see all these famous people and famous artists and you'd be like oh my god there's there that's so and so and oh my god and someone's smoking in the corner okay i guess i can smoke too and then oh no 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 you can't smoke you're a student that you know that kind of like making mistakes at openings where you're like that happened at sonia banaktar gallery one time i remember she like lit up a cigarette and (laughs) and do you do you remember that oh of course is that gallery still i believe so i don't know yeah, 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 yeah. I'm on 21st, sure, I'm I think, sure. if I'm not mistaken. I'm sure. I'm sorry. I'm actually a little out of it since the pandemic. Oh, I am too. It's the... probably closed <laughs> and it's now it's like, you know, a, a Starbucks yeah. or something. What do I know? But <laughs> yeah. she lit one up I, and you were like, oh, I can too. I was like, oh, cool. And then um, all my friends, we all just kind of were like, oh, cool. We can, it's, we can smoke in this gallery. Wow, Sonia's so cool. This is an amazing gallery. And then, of course, we got in a lot of trouble and I think we got kicked out. Um, nice that's a good right but it was passage. like you know just i just still remember like even as i'm thinking about this moment i just still remember that like kind of feeling of like you know having grown up in montreal where like we don't really have the kind of gallery scene that new york is i mean where else i don't know 
I think for a lot of people that moved to New York at the age of 19, it's probably like this, but just those like spaces, like the gallery spaces, being able to be like in those spaces, like on a regular basis did something to my brain in a way that like, I've never been the, I've never been able to come back from that need of like that kind of like super white cube light lighting, that kind of like the energy, everyone in really amazing clothes, like just like that kind of that that opening feel vibe thing you know which yeah doesn't exist as much anymore although yeah. it's there it's there it and changed. it isn't there it's just changed i guess you just don't get drunk anymore at them unless you're at a fair and i think you know <laughs> yeah exactly. and and it's not as clammy as it used to be there used to be so many right. people in those spaces yeah, even in exactly. the winter like, it'd be like the humidity was 200 and yes, it was just yes, like yeah. packed with people and you felt like wow like yeah. people are really mm-hmm. into art and then you realize that, yeah. like, you know, yeah. like post-COVID, it's like, well, we're probably not going to get there. And then it's like there's so many more galleries now. Like when I first moved to the city, the, I mean, there were gal- a lot of galleries, but it wasn't like it is now. So it's that's changed as well. Things have moved totally. around and stuff. But, you know, you realize in the back of your mind that at the end of the day, it's just the art. You know, it's the stuff on the wall. Yeah. But that, that yeah. all that other stuff can be intoxicating to some some it can be you know anxiety producing so oh yeah i mean i had that happen like later in the game i like when i was 19 like when i was just at cooper and i was 19 i was so naive and didn't know and you know i think it might have started with that sonia badakhtar moment where it was like you guys are not for this place because you're young you know you're not welcome here or something because of and then it was like i started seeing the the I think the naive the night eventually I think year four in New York I started getting hardened or uh, what is not jaded because I would never the jaded part I think I was more hurt heartbroken than jaded I I went that way rather than let down you know some people get jaded yeah. some people get jaded and sarcastic and mean or or like bitter I went I went heartbroken. Right. <laughs> I went that direction um, and so I think year four yes I think New York. Definitely, I, I started having more of that kind of experience where, yeah, like he, feeling the the pain, you know, the rejection, the the not belonging, the the, the hardships of the art world, you know. God, the, that's the the, diff- the 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 dark side. Yeah, the the imagined parallel to Hollywood. You know what I mean? When yeah. you get there and yeah. you go to a party and you're like, oh man, there's actors here. This is amazing. And then. And it's like, you're not, get out of this room. You're not allowed in here. And then it's so yeah, hard to get cool. an agent. <laughs> yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not easy, you know? No. And it is no. its own. It's weird. There's this perception that it's a click and that you're either allowed in or allowed not. It's not quite that mm. one door. But no. it is like that no. everywhere to where, you know, well, I don't know mm. who that person is. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think things have opened up a little now with technology and like, you know, Instagram and being able to be online and it's a little oh, yeah. more fluid than it used to be when it was like, you know, totally l- much less sort of breathing room when it comes to the, you know, being out there. But Oh, totally. Yeah, I easy. think especially for the people that have difficulty with social dynamics and social that sort of thing, like knowing how to talk to a person that they've never met before, you can really kind of um, so- social media allows more room for those types. <laughs> social, you know what I mean? social media really opens the door for antisocial people. <laughs> <laughs> In a way, though, it does. No, I, because you I can, totally agree. I mean, even I know this for myself. Like, you know, I know this for myself. You know, I, I've always suffered with, like, extreme shyness. And, you know, the, you don't 
feel shy when you're on social media, which can have its drawbacks, obviously. You've seen a lot of violence and mean behaviors on social media because of that very thing, right. because of the and, and the anonymous side to it. But, like, you know, you don't have to have that kind of... Anyway. Yeah, I know I what digress, you mean. But, well, it's, yeah. you know, I've talked to some people who have uh, a lot of followers on social media. Not that charismatic. Mm. <laughs> Which is funny because there you go, case in You know, point. you don't. It's not your personality that's being that's drawing people in. It's like a, a picture. You know what I mean? Like everyone's vacation right. looks amazing. Yeah. Um, well, so let's yeah. let's talk about. Well, we should talk about art, right? Yeah. So yeah, get, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. We have, but mm-hmm. when you uh, when you got out of school, when you because you went to Rutgers, right, for grad school, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that must have been a good experience. Did you have any teachers there yeah. that you kind of connected with? Oh yeah, um, um, it's funny because I had um, Hanalina Rochberg um, in at Cooper Union. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with her work yeah, at yeah. all, but um, yeah, I had her at Cooper Union, and then and didn't really. I took her class, but didn't really like um, get to know her that well. I think I just took one class or something, but I liked her. Um, but um, really got then she was at Rutgers when I was there and I really got to know her there and it was a whole different thing um and it's funny because all my profs that I have like I I ended up when I was at Cooper I worked I um I had like Jacqueline Humphreys Stephen Ellis Lydia Donna um and I became really close with Stephen Ellis I like worked for him for many years as a personal assistant and then ended up working with Lydia Donna and then through them met Dan Walsh and worked with Dan Walsh. So I had like this whole kind of formation that was very um, abstract painters. They were just like the Neo Geo people from the 90s, you know, in New York. And I kind of knew them as a crew and knew them as friends and I hung out with them and they were like my people. And so I didn't really, as far as, you know, it's interesting because I'm a figurative painter, I didn't really have any figurative painter models. Was your uh, subject matter in school and like coming out of school similar to where it is now as far as like telling these stories and these figures that are you know yeah was it similar Um, yeah I think it's something I've just never really been able to get away from it's like as much as I might try it's always so funny I always feel like I'm making a different kind of painting and then I look back and I'm like oh no I wasn't I was always making that same like there's a kind of a stepping stone quality I feel to the development of my subject matter where it's just like one led to the next, you know, like one incrementally, like kind of, or, you know, something always came from something before. It was never kind of like a big drastic shift or change. And I think, um, I think it took me a really long time actually to find my subject matter. And I feel, I still actually feel like I don't know if I have it. I'm 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 sort of like really intuitively inclined and I allow for things to kind of show up and then I kind of negotiate what they are but I like don't program things ahead of time necessarily but again like going back to this idea of like things building from something else like I'm trusting that I learned something the time before like the painting before so it it's a right. slow build you know um and I guess in a way, um, I, yeah, like I, I have, I, I mean, when I say, you know, that I think of myself as a formalist, I think I often would rely on that as a way to be able to avoid having to talk about subject matter because 
I didn't know how to or didn't know what it was. And um, so, you know, being driven by like all the formal conundrums of a painting is a lot more uh, safe somehow. You know, like, because... Well, do I, you feel that when, when one talks about subject matter that it has to be in lead to definitive measures of like what it is as opposed to well these are just sort of like imagined imagination figures that um reveal themselves in the process of making and that becomes the subject matter and that's okay or do you feel like pressure that it has to be like well this guy and this lady or this person this child means this yeah definitely i mean definitely like in the sense that i just often used to feel like i didn't even know what I was saying. I was like, I don't know what I want to say. I don't know. I have nothing to say, you know, even though that wasn't true. It was just that it was like happening in a language that was pictorial rather than verbal. So it, that, that kind of relationship was all, took me a long time to kind of negotiate, you know, like I was already doing it visually, but, um, but yeah, like the translation, you know, when you have to explain it is what used to catch me. Like I would be, not nervous but I would also be like yes I I would be afraid of that definition in a way like defining or pin 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 what is it pinpointing something yeah like I didn't want to pin something down and I and I and I still actually feel that way somewhat where I don't want a painting to be just one thing I want it to be shifty you know I want it to move and have a kind of a uh, like a you know like almost like a tipping thing like if you you could potentially tip it upside down and it would the it would uh, I don't know there's something about like this kind of flip thing that I want in the painting so that it can be turned over and turned over like a roly poly or something keeps going like you know those things that yeah. have a weight in them and it's like oh it takes it somewhere else um, yeah. yeah definitely um, I I think that you know not defining it there's something to be said for that and there should be no shame in it because you know, if you think about poetry, it's like you do, people may want or ask the poet to define the narrative, but the idea is that a lot of the stuff is not. It, it builds a feeling out of its ambiguity. You know what I mean? So the moment you start to try to define what the narrative is, what it means, or what the subject matter is explicitly, you kind of kill some of the spirit of the imagination that you're imparting on the viewer, you know? And that's why we don't write essays and put it neck, well, for, in, for the most part, and put it next to a painting because you want that viewer to be able to take the trip where they want to take it or else you would just write a story, you know, or, you know, write this, what this is exactly what it means. So I think, you know, it's, it's important for a lot of work to be able to not talk about what the work is or to just say it's, it's not pinned. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an exploration. It's, it's guiding the viewer into this land that they can choose. It's like a choose your own adventure in a way. Totally. Totally. I mean, if anything, I feel like the one thing I kind of have found definition with is that I know that I want what, that I'm painting essentially about relationships. So it's not necessarily like I'm painting a figure and their story, but rather the relationship that is happening between two figures. Like, I'll, I'll often paint more than one figure for this reason. Like, I don't... Whenever I paint one figure, it becomes immediately self-referential and a self-portrait, you know? And it becomes about me and the, yeah. the, the one, you know? Um, and so... Th- and that's not interesting to me, necessarily. So it's like the relation... And, and when you are talking about a relationship, like, that's not descriptive. Like, you can't describe that space between two people relating to each other. You know what I mean? 
I mean, that's right. where yeah. poetry, as you said, it's comes in and stuff. You can't describe Pardon a me? feeling, really. You can't describe a feeling, no, really. Exactly. A feeling is a feeling. You could try, but you're going to narrow the in, what it is. You know, the moment you try to like pin it down, you know, you're going to right, and then it also stays stagnant, and it's like these things don't stay the same. There's they're constantly shifting and moving, and I think that's essentially like that little that little crux of space is what I want to paint. So it's a moving thing. Right. It's a moving. Well, it's not an object, but I'll just say object for lack of a better word. It's a moving object. It's a moving target, right? So it's not like, I'm, yeah. and I want to paint the moving target. So it's like trying to describe what that's all about. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I say that, but at the same time, obviously I can just, you know, I can try to do it, but it's just that I think um, it always definitely was something I found difficult to do and then I realized with time that it didn't matter the reason why it's difficult to do is because that's why I'm interested in painting it right like if I knew how to describe right. it it yeah. wouldn't be interesting to paint anymore right I mean that's the the old legacy of like an artist statement it's like well I don't know if I really want to just nail it down what I'm doing to like two paragraphs yeah. like I think I want it to be a little more open-ended than yeah that. so it's like you know it, it defeats the purpose almost of doing what you're mm-hmm. doing but at the same time, it's important to be able to... And I'm not mm-hmm. saying you. I'm saying the artist is... It's important to be able to describe what is undefined or what is what what is open. And, you know, it, it's kind of like that's really what it's mm-hmm. about, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Are you able to... And, and also, too, just not for nothing. I mean, there is a specific... Or not specific. There are specific touch points to some of the the dress and the feeling and the references of some of the figures and the way that you're painting in the works that I think lead a viewer to a vibe Mm -hmm. or an era Mm -hmm. or a, an imaginative um, kind of like place in history of, of relationships Mm -hmm. or something. But again, it's, 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 it's loose. It's not defined, which I Mm -hmm. think works. Are you able to listen to music while you're working or is it too specific? Um, Yes and no. I mean, for the longest time I always sort of, uh, preferred silence because I felt um, I need like folk I would get music distracts me or something but um, but then like I remember in grad school actually I started listening to uh, like music but it wasn't even like anything specific it was actually kind of bad music um, but then I realized that if I started listening to something it would be like I was listening to Rihanna no, that's not bad music by the way I'm not saying Rihanna's bad music I love Rihanna <laughs> But, like, in the sense that it wasn't like I'm going to pull out some, you know, I don't know. Anyway, but it was, it was, but I discovered that if I started listening, if I started a painting and was listening to, like, Rihanna, I would have to then finish the whole series while listening to the same album, like, over and over. It had to become, like, a chant, you know, so, so it kind of does that to me a little bit, and it's, it continues to be that way. Like, if I'm, I get into a jag and I have to, come back into the studio and reprogram that jag so I can get back in that same train, on that same train, get on that same, you know, go in the same direction, yeah. like, go, come Definitely. come back to where I was. You know, I feel like... But over the, over the pandemic, I started listening more to, like, podcasts and stuff. Um, yeah. That works. I mean, I could, I could see, you know, WC or, oh, like, yeah. you know, Bach, oh, Bach. or something yes, playing absolutely. in the Bach. studio. I love... Yeah, I grew up listening there's to a little, that. There's a little element of, or at least my imagination in looking at the work, because I remember when I saw the show at uh, Carvalho Park, mm-hmm. you know, it that, 
you know, you could hear a little Mozart in your mind. Oh yeah, yeah. that's so funny. You should bring that up because it's actually that. Those are like that's like my like I don't know when I was a kid and I would I uh, my parents play a lot of music would play a lot of music in the house and often it would it would vary from you know classical to to jazz to, to you know everything. But I remember I would hear broke music. And I would actually, like, I'd be, like, five or six, and I'd be, like, I'd, I'd, I'd almost, like, feel like I'd get into a trance, and, I'd, and I would tell my parents that I lived in that time. I'd be, like, I used to live this joint. This music is bringing me back to my memories. And, right. like, they would be, like, okay, weirdo, you know, like, yeah, like, you know, I was, like, but I was, like, I was, you know, I didn't understand reincarnation, but I, I was convinced I had, that that music somehow was, like, from my other, another life of mine, you know? Yeah. Right. You would think anyone who would go along with that would be, yeah. be like, oh, yeah, that was your life. Like, I think, well, well, let's work it out. Let's work it. And, and they're like, yeah, what a weirdo. Yeah, sure. I think they probably encouraged it. They probably were like, oh, really? And what did you wear in those days? You know, like right, that kind of right. thing. Yeah, did Velasquez paint you, <laughs> yeah. too, in that portrait? Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah, but I, that kind of music, I could just, you know, it's, I think there's, there. like I was saying before, when I, looked at your when i've looked at your work in person and been around it there's kind of a feeling you get and uh, i'm sure it's slightly different and that happens with every artist but i think it's just a testament to the sort of like world that you're building and the the look and feel of it that it has you know an atmosphere absolutely i mean when i listen to that music for instance i see like an architecture you know like the the mathematical kind of like uh, octave changes and all that like create like steps and architecture for me visually and so like it, it it's so related to like my whole drive with formalism and like construct and making like the the, the rectangle become like broken up with pieces you know what i mean it's like the fracture you yeah fracture. those are those are compositions yeah. yeah composition whereas like you know like ornette coleman is like pollock where it's just like a process yeah. it's like we're just talking about but you feel the you know, compositional the, um, influence on the on ornette coleman though and like yeah. Of course. But I think it's a different it's a a different Absolutely. aura. You know Absolutely. what I mean? It's it's more physical. Classical music feels more orchestrated. Oh, Obviously yeah. it's mm-hmm. more, you know, performed. Mm-hmm. Whereas like it's a performance where, you know, free jazz just feels like sweaty guys mm-hmm. in a room just making music yeah. and they're performing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're they're doing yeah. it. Yeah, they're doing it. They're not performing yeah. it. Yeah. That's the, you know, classical is generally you are in a way you're just performing a piece, yeah, yeah. you know, whereas like, you know, in jazz, you're, you're expressing yourself. You're, you're doing yeah. like a composition. Actually, it's know. so funny. You should bring this up because I remember in grad school, um, I had like a visit with Aki Sasamoto. I don't know if you're familiar with her work. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, yeah she's amazing. She was, she was, she was, I didn't take her class, but, um, I had her in my studio and she, uh, and I was kind of blocked actually uh and it was really close to thesis and i remember being really um yeah anyway and she put on she was like do you know anthony braxton and and i was like no and so we listened to some what the hell you know (laughs) that's so amazing of course yeah i mean he drew compositions and his son is tyundai so musician yeah but i mean that seems like such a rogue well, like, why would she... It's genius, but why would she bring that up? I don't know. Studio? Well, because we were talking about um, the figure, and I had been painting, like, I'd been painting, like, a diminutive figure, 
as opposed to like these bigger, oh, okay. larger filling the space. I'd sort of reduced the figure to a kind of a smaller component of the painting. I was trying to be more, yeah, yeah. I was trying to get more abstract and I was thinking of like Philip Guston and his like big, the Nixon drawings that were up at Hauser and Wirth at the time. It was like oh, his yeah. Nixon show, you know, and and I remember like wanting to do that kind of thing where it was more like a comic space, comic book space or something. Anyway, so I had the smaller figure, but then it wasn't really working for me. And she had me listen to, um, I don't, I think it's called March, Anthony Braxton's March. It's like based off know, of any school, of his titles. Yeah, it was based off of like a school. I had a, I had records that had drawings. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like the compositions were yeah, drawings. Yeah, and it was, but it, but this one was based off of like the marching band kind of, mm-hmm. doo, doo, you know, I, I'm not going to yeah. sing it because I'm tone deaf, but like um, that kind of format. And then it shifts, right? It goes into all these crazy loopy architectures and stuff like weird spaces and stuff, but then comes back to the marching band, you know, goes in and out, you know? And so the yeah. person I was painting was actually kind of on a walk and marching across the canvas. And then, so all of a sudden, by listening to the music and then also by like kind of studying my figure as like trying to be more embodied with my figure that I was painting, I saw it go like, mm-hmm. you know, like almost like when you're, you know, those early Disney movies where like, I think it's Dumbo where he gets drunk or something and all of a sudden he's like getting huge oh, and yeah, small they stretch. and then stretching, <laughs> you know, like when they, anyway. Um, yeah. And just like outline format kind of thing. Um, and I was sort of like, it just sort of allowed me to be more malleable with how I saw the potential for how I could draw the figure because I allowed it to be driven by the nice. music, which, which was, yeah, the, that, that piece, the Anthony Braxton one, the March. It was interesting. Well, I learned something She's today. I never would have picked that. Way, uh, yeah. Like, I, I never would have imagined yeah. that. Yeah. That's really cool. Breakthrough. Yeah, it moment. was. It really was. That's truly good. was. It was like two weeks to thesis. And I was like, Oh my God, she saved my life. <laughs> yeah. Smart. Maybe today's version that uh, we could do, like, go to a studio and be like, you know, what <laughs> you mean Kanye? <laughs> 20, 21 questions. <laughs> you, you mean Kanye? <laughs> like maybe, the, yeah, Kanye, maybe that's the breakthrough. <laughs> yeah, joking, yeah, that's I'm true. Joking. That's true. Did I go too <laughs> yeah. deep there? I'm yeah. getting old. <laughs> so what are you working on now besides the, the, the painting behind you and the one that you primed oh, yeah, that, also one, behind this you? This one's an older one. Um, you have a group show in Korea now, though, uh, right? Is that now? Yeah, I have a show. Uh, yeah, in a group <laughs> you show. You were like, Sorry, oh, do I? You were like, oh, do I? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I'm aware. It's just there's a lot of banging coming from down the hall, so I was um, hesitating. But no, I, I have a show. Like, yeah, there's a group show up at um, Every Day's Every Day Monday Gallery, but it's Moon Day. M O O O O N D A Y Gallery. Um, um, that was curated by uh, Raymond Lemstra. Um, and then also uh, Carvalho Park brought my work to Kiev. So that was nice. uh, kind of, yeah. So the two things happened kind exciting. of all at once in Korea, and it was very exciting. Um, yeah. Well, Korea is banging right now. I mean, it is just on I fire. Know, I, I mean, know. you got the music and the art, and it's, yeah, it's, something's it's happening all of a sudden. Yeah. And it's funny because it was like there was that typhoon. Did you hear about the typhoon? That, yeah. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And I've been feeling such Brutal. qualm. I don't know. I, uh, we don't have to go there. But like just I've been very worried about the climate lately and stuff like that. So it's just 
Yeah. Really? <laughs> not yes. What's going on? Yeah, what are you worried about? We don't have to talk about <laughs> Everything's that. Everything's great. That's a whole conversation yeah, yeah. for another time. But <laughs> yeah, no, it's it is a thing yeah. for sure. Um, well, that's exciting. And then you're making some new work. Are you going to have a show here anytime soon? Uh, yes, actually, that's selfishly the, asking. The prime asking canvas is getting ready for. Um, going to be making. Um, uh, I'm going to have a solo at Carvalho Park in uh, November, end of nice. November. Which we should tell listeners is in Bushwick, yes. or East mm-hmm. Williamsburg. It's like my studio's like oh, a block cool, away. Cool, that's yes. why I've, I've passed by nice. all the time. Um, but yeah, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, no, I'm very excited. Um, yeah, I think it'll be my first uh, New York solo show. Yeah, so. Four, f- four classes, a solo <laughs> show, some art fairs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This sleep, is what we no want, sleep. though. This is no, what we no want. Sleep. Sleep's yeah, overrated, overrated, right? That's why they make it. Yeah. <laughs> Which I cannot drink, actually, because I get, oh my gosh, if I drink one of those, I'm like, I can't even, I have to lie down and like just breathe through my shakes because they just rile me up way too much. I can just handle coffee barely. Yeah. So. Well, it was great talking. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time. I'm excited to see the show coming up. And people can follow you on Instagram and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Right? Yeah. They can check out the work. Yeah. Thank you so much for having cool. me. It was great to talk to you and meet you. Likewise. Thanks okay. for doing it. Sound of Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by checking it out on Instagram at Sound of Vision Podcast or the website soundofvisionpodcast.com. You can check out more about my work at brianalfred.net or at Alfred Studio on Instagram. Many thanks to Delphine for doing it, taking the time out, and many thanks to the sponsors Golden Artist Colors and Fulcrum Coffee. If you need good coffee and you need good art supplies, you know where to go. If you can, leave a rating and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast. It really helps. And if you want to support the podcast even further, go out and grab a copy of Why I Make Art, the Sound of Vision podcast book, which includes over 30 long features of artists who've been on the podcast, themed sections of quotes, a guest book, sketchbook, a lot more. And if you can, if you did already pick it up, Leave a rating on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or wherever you picked it up from. That really helps as well. I have a group show coming up opening the 21st of September called Island Time at Valery Gallery. And that is in the United Arab Emirates in Dubai. It is up for almost a month and it features other artists like Matthew Craven, Michelle Blade, Catherine McNaughton, Jason Revoke, Ryan Wallace and others and it's curated by Andrew Schultz who I have had on this podcast so check out that show online or if you happen to be in Dubai check it out got some great episodes coming up looking forward to talking to some really cool people so stay tuned each week and thank you for listening